Sometimes when I read my Bible, it makes me really upset. Sometimes when I read it, and I try to read it every day, I'm not perfect, so I don't, but sometimes I read it and I come across something and I go, I don't like that very much. I don't know if you ever have an experience like that reading your Bible. When I was praying for this series that we're on, we're going to be looking at the book of James, I came across a passage that really kind of bugged me. And it's right at the beginning. You'd think if it was going to be a passage that bugs you, they could wait a little while so you could get into it. But, but James, in James's wisdom, decided right away, I want to bug Rob with this passage. And it's in James 1, verse 2. And it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And this really bugged me. The reason why it bugged me is this. It seemed really insensitive. Like, James doesn't know my trials. Why should I be happy about them? Or, he doesn't know what you've gone through. Why should you be happy about it? Maybe he's being a little insensitive. Maybe those trials are really difficult, and James has no idea what's going on. And then as I had these feelings, I started to realize, oh, that's because I'm taking it completely out of context. That's probably the problem here. Which is sometimes what we do with the Bible. Read a verse, and we see what it says, and we go, okay, this is what it says, so this is what it means, and wow, I like it or I don't like it. And I have this idea around reading the Bible that there's three steps to it. The first one is, well, what does it say? So James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So it says that, but then what does it mean? And sometimes what it says and what it means aren't exactly the same thing. And so we need to understand that. And the third step is, well, how do you apply it based on what it means? But for many of us, we stop at what does it say? And we forget that the Bible is a translation. It's a translation from an original language, usually Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. In this case, it was Greek. And it's translated into English. And sometimes they use words that we use differently today. And so sometimes we have to understand what it means before we decide what it really is saying. And I think this is one of those passages. Because for a lot of us, when we think about it, if someone was to say to you, while you were going through something negative, maybe it's your kids stopped listening to you, which you should have figured out early it's going to happen. (laughs) Maybe it's your spouse doesn't enjoy spending time with you anymore. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe just interest rates are scary and you have to renew your mortgage. And everything seems so overwhelming and you're going through these trials and someone says to you, you should be joyful. What's your first reaction? Probably like, get out of my face. You have no idea what I'm going through. Or you no idea what I've been through. Or you have no idea how hard it is right now. What James is saying is more than, hey, you should be happy you're going through stuff. And we're going to explore what that means more right now. Because the context of it is very, very critical for our understanding of what we're invited into as people who say they're going to follow Jesus. Because the book of James is really a letter about how to follow Jesus. He kind of sets it up in a way that there are like 12 really great points throughout the book, and the first chapter almost summarizes them to draw your attention to what's to come. 
So there's a literary style that he's using. But there's a lot to this book, and over the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring it and trying to say, okay, what does this mean for our faith, both inside us, as is how we apply it to ourselves, and outside, how do we demonstrate it in the world around us? Because over and over again, that is his point. How do you live a whole faith, a holistic faith, a faith that's integrated in all of who you are? And so James 1 is where we're going to start. And we're going to start there in James 1, verse 1, which kind of makes sense, right? So James 1, verse 1 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Typical kind of, hey, it's me, James. Now, there's a lot in there that we should pay attention to as well. Like, maybe we could just scan over it and go, okay, he's doing a greeting, that's great. And there's a few things that we might not be as aware of, that maybe would be helpful to know. Like, his name isn't actually James, it's Jacob. Which is a little weird. Because you're like, why isn't it called Jacob? Well, there's a lot of history to it, but mostly it comes from the Latin translation, so the most English translations translate it to James instead of Jacob. There's also some theory out there that people, when they translated the, New, the King James version, they wanted to suck up to King James, so they kept it as the name James. That's a, we don't know if that one's true. Could be. But James, who is he? We're going to stick with James, even though Jacob's a wonderful name. Don't worry, Jacob. I know we have one. Well, who is James? Well, James is, there's multiple James that come up throughout Scripture, but there's one particular James that wrote this letter. And this James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. We read about him in the book of Acts, but we read about him earlier in the Gospels because he's the half-brother of Jesus. So he is someone who is deeply related to Jesus, as in he's Mary and Joseph's child, but also at one point did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. So you read in the Gospel accounts when Jesus talks, goes into the crowd, goes into the villages, and the, his family is trying to say, hey, stop talking. James is one of those people. But at some point, who Jesus was made sense to him, and he came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who was promised. And so he began following and leading the movement of the church in Jerusalem in particular. And so this James, who's this leader, is writing this letter. And it's one of the first letters that was written. This was probably around 45 to 50 AD that this was written. So it's early on in the journey of the people who follow Jesus. He writes this letter, and he writes this to encourage, to challenge, to help people understand what a life of faith means. And so James 1 is just introducing that. So we jump down to verse 2 where we were before. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the context of this is this. James says, when you face trials, let it run its course. Persevere through it. So the word that gets used for persevere could be, if you have a different translation, it might be something different that gets used there. 
um, but it could be endure or be steadfast, which is another word that gets used. It's all from the same Greek word, but they choose different English translations depending on which one you have to kind of make it make sense as best they can. So he's saying whenever you're facing trials, consider it joy and then stay the course. Keep going because it will produce something. So what are trials? There's a word that gets used in the Bible for trials, particularly the New Testament, and it means two different things, and sometimes it means both things. The word that gets used for trials sometimes means things happening outside of you, right? So inflation rates, somebody hits your car, somebody cut you off, you lost your job, stuff you have no control over in some cases. So that word can be stuff going on outside of you as trial. So consider it pure joy when those things are happening. Consider it pure joy when the reality is the world sucks and a lot of bad stuff is going on. But it also means, it's the same word that gets used for trials, it gets used for temptations. So sometimes the translators will say it's trials and temptations, sometimes they'll say just temptations or just trials. Meaning there's something internal that is a struggle. So maybe it's a desire that you know you shouldn't have, like to finish two liters of ice cream in 30 minutes. Or it's to look at porn, to cheat on your spouse, to cheat on your taxes, to cut somebody off in traffic, to just curse out the person who's in front of you taking too long ordering coffee. I mean, it's not that hard. It's something inside of you. And while both of those words seem to mean something very different, they're the same word in Greek. So trials are both something outside and something inside. Now, the translators to English chose that it's more about outside. But I think we need to think about it inside as well. Consider it pure joy when the world around you is causing you struggle, but also consider it pure joy when there's an internal struggle. Why? If you're struggling with something internally, like outside this might be a little bit easier, right? Because you'd say, oh, there's stuff going on outside. You can see how you can move through that and persevere and how it will build character, how you'll become a stronger person. You know, you can see that a little more. But internally, it's critical as well. Because internally is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Internally, when you feel tempted, when you feel like doing something and you go, I know this isn't what I should be doing, and you fight with it, that's God working in your life. And when you persevere, when you endure, when you are steadfast and walk through it and don't give in, you are demonstrating your faith. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because what is going on internally and externally and how you're responding to it is a demonstration of what God is doing in your life and how you're spending time with him, how you're praying, how you're reading scripture, how you're trusting him to have a better way forward than maybe you realize. So when James writes this, he writes to 
believers who are kind of scattered. So he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So it's Jewish believers. And he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, so both internal and external, whether it's people persecuting them, because that was the context they were dealing with. Their reality was because they were followers of the way, followers of Jesus, maybe they couldn't get the job that somebody who was not a follower of the way could get. Maybe they were kicked out of their neighborhood because they were ostracized, whether by the Jewish community or the Gentile community. They were considered outcasts. They weren't well-received in many communities. And he says, well, those external things, consider it pure joy when you're going through them. But also those internal things of the internal struggle with sin, the reality that it's a thing, and you have a choice of what you do with it. Those are real things. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some translations will say perfect. And thankfully, NIV translates it to mature and complete because that's what it's about. It's about being wholly integrated to being someone whose belief is demonstrated in how they live in every moment. It's Christian maturity. It's being a disciple. It's actually what's asked of all of us who choose to follow Jesus. That our life internally and externally line up with the way of Jesus. That's what James is pointing to here. And that's what James is starting this letter with, saying that this is what it is. But sometimes it's hard because in the midst of these trials, whether it's the external or the internal suffering, we don't see a point to it. We wonder why it might be happening to us. And sometimes we miss the reality of our context of what God might be doing within those moments. One of the books that I probably quote the most, uh, because I love it, is uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Because it probably speaks to everything that the Bible speaks to in regards to this topic of suffering. And it speaks from a perspective of lived experience, because Frankl li- lived through a concentration camp. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. I quote it a lot. And one of the things that he says, he says, in some way, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. Suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds a meaning. So when you are experiencing all these trials, whether it's internal or external, it ceases to be suffering when you understand its purpose, that it has a reason for it. And James is saying the reason for it is for you to be perfect, to be whole, to be what you've always been meant to be, completely, wholly human. So what you go through, as you walk through it, as you persevere, it's meant to refine you and help you be who you've always been meant to be. Let's continue. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So when you're going through this, whether it's that internal or external trials, James says you need to persevere because there's a purpose for you going through it. You struggling with that internal desire that you know is not what God desires for you is God's evidence that there's work going on in your life, that the Holy Spirit is with you. You recognizing that things happening outside of you are not the way they're supposed to be and it's difficult and it's hard and maybe you have no control over them. Again, that's evidence that there's something going on where you know it should be better. And to persevere, to endure, to be steadfast and work through it is to become whole, who you're meant to be. But when you're in it, it's not so easy. So what does James say? You should seek wisdom. Find wisdom. Wisdom ultimately comes from God. So if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously and without finding fault. So if you're going through it and you're going, hey God, don't know why I'm going through it. I don't know what to do. You have an option. Do you say, ah, forget you, God. We're done. Which, unfortunately, sometimes we do. You know, it's too hard. It'd be so much easier if I didn't have to spend time with you. If I didn't have to try and live your way. Or do you go, okay, God, what do I do about this? Help me to understand. Help me to move through this. When I used to lead kids and youth, I always used the definition that wisdom is applied knowledge. So wisdom is to know what to do and then to do it. God, what do I do? And if God answers, you have a choice. Do I do it or do I not? Well, wisdom is to do it. As you go through suffering, as you go through trials and temptations, what we are invited to do is to ask God for guidance. And when we ask God for guidance, we should expect him to tell us what to do. Sometimes the way he tells us is through another person. As we share our frustrations and our struggles and our trials, and they give you good advice. Sometimes he tells us directly through Scripture, which I think he does most of all because it speaks to almost every situation we can find ourselves in. Sometimes he just speaks in an audible voice, and we hear it through our prayers. And we always have a choice. Do I listen to it or not? Whether it's someone else, the words he's spoken before, or the new words he may speak that should line up with the words he spoke before. What do you do with it? Well, you should seek wisdom. You should believe it will come and not be tossing back and forth. You should trust it. Trust God's guidance and follow it, applying the knowledge that you have. So believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like the wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. In James's context, he's dealing with the reality that many of the people who are followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, are not very wealthy. In fact, many of them have no money at all because they're not able to get jobs because of what they believe. 
because they're just on the outskirts of society. They're not the high, high up people in many cases. And so he says, listen, there's a huge disparity between the rich and the poor. And you shouldn't let that be the issue. God will take care of what he has to do. Some of you have come from countries other than Canada, and you've seen it within your own context in your countries where you see that there's really no middle class. There's the rich, and then there's the poor. And maybe there's varying degrees of poor. And you can see it in various places where the rich have certain elite status, and maybe they make decisions, and maybe they enforce things that really affect the poor, and the poor have no voice. This was a context in the world that James is writing to that many of you actually lived in and many of you have experienced. It's a world very different than Canada, but it's a very real world. And James says, God will take care of this. There are things outside of us, trials outside of us that we experience that we have no control over. We have to trust that God will take care of them. Then there are things inside that we do have control over. We have to trust God's guidance with them and persevere through them. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, the person received the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So don't say that God is tempting you. But it's something inside of you that is leading that way. And when you allow that thing inside of you to do what it does, it leads you to sin, which leads you to death. So again, the words for trials and the words for temptation, the exact same word in Greek. The translators chose to kind of distinguish it a bit, but I think there's some mutuality going on. That thing inside of you, that desire you have that maybe is contrary to what God says is best for you, he's saying, you've got to do something about it. And it is, don't listen to it. Don't let it direct you. Because the reality is that the temptations we feel or we have or maybe we hear or we desire, whatever we want to use for that, Usually they're things we like. Usually they're things that make us feel good. Usually they're things we desire. And so it's easy for us to go, well, this temptation makes me go, eh, that's not so bad. What's the big deal if I eat all that ice cream? What's the big deal if I flip the bird to the guy next to me who's going too slow? What's the big deal if I cheat on my spouse? It makes me feel good. And that might sound ridiculous, but it's absolutely what happens. Because we go, this doesn't seem so bad right now. This makes me feel good, and I like to feel good. Didn't James say, consider it joy? That's like happiness, right? Well, no, it's not. Joy is not happiness. Joy is recognizing the grace you've been given. And the grace you've been given has made you someone who can persevere through those internal desires as well as those external trials. 
The grace you've been given by God is one of immense love. One that allows us to be people who don't just give in to what we want in a moment. One that allows us to see beyond the immediate satisfaction or the immediate relief to see that there's something better and bigger that God has in store. Joy is to see that. There's more to this. Happiness is an immediate satisfaction. Joy is to see the grace that you've been given and to live it out and say, because of Jesus, I can get through this. So when you face internal temptation, you can walk through it. You can move through it. It doesn't have to be what controls you. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of firstfruits of all he created. Don't be deceived. What shouldn't you be deceived on? James says, every good thing comes from God. Don't be deceived. Recognize that what you experience can be good because of God. What you're going through can be good because God is with you in it. When you suffer, whether it's an external trial or an internal temptation, you can consider it pure joy. You can realize the grace of God in those moments because he is with you. And he isn't leaving you. And you can seek him for wisdom on how to move through it, to persevere, to endure, to be steadfast, so that you could be whole. So that you could be who you're meant to be. Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician, said a long time ago, and this is kind of off the cuff, so I can't give you the exact date. He said, all of us have a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that needs to be filled. Sometimes we translate it to a God-shaped hole. People write songs about it, but he said vacuum, meaning we are sucking things in to try and fill that void because we are not whole, we're fractured, we're broken. We are the result of sin. So we try to suck things in and we try to allow these things to define who we are to make us whole, but they will not succeed because the only thing, the only one who can make us whole is Jesus. And he did the heavy lifting through his death and resurrection to provide us that opportunity. And when we don't find our wholeness in him, we fill it with anything we can to try and find meaning and purpose and definition. But ultimately, that may provide some relief, some immediate happiness, but it's not joy. Because eventually it fades. It's only in Jesus we can be whole. And so James writes this letter to Jewish followers of Jesus, but also to us. And he tries to help us understand that what we go through internally and externally has a purpose. 
that there is meaning to the suffering we experience. And that meaning is only found when we endure or persevere or are steadfast through that suffering. It may not make sense. It doesn't mean the suffering is good. It just means there's purpose to it. What you've gone through and what you will go through is probably very unfair. You probably don't deserve the boss you have who treats you like crap. You probably don't deserve the children who never call. You probably don't deserve the parents who project their own problems onto you. You probably don't deserve that person that you pour all your love out to and doesn't give it back. Nothing is right about it. Nothing is good about it. It's wrong. It's the reality of that all of us being broken and fractured bring that brokenness to each other and cause a lot of pain. But James' point is that as you have these external realities, and as you have those internal realities of your own brokenness, if you can endure, if you can persevere, if you can seek God's wisdom on what to do, he is making you whole. And you will find that joy, that grace realized, when you allow him to do that work. So this first chapter of James, I think, answers four questions for us. One is, where does suffering come from? And for a lot of us, we're wondering this question. Where are these things coming from? Why are we feeling this pain? Why are we going through this? Well, there's two ways. There's external. There's the trials. There's the reality that it's a broken world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. It's a reality that we have divisions amongst us, and we have pain and suffering. And there's also this internal reality that sometimes we make decisions that feed our immediate desire or happiness, but ultimately bring destruction. And we're just not aware of it. Where does suffering come from? It comes from outside and it comes from inside. It's trials and temptations. Then he asks asks this question, well, how do you persevere through it? How do you move through the reality of what's around you not being good and what's inside not always being so good? Well, it's perseverance. It's to persevere, to keep going, to not give up, to not just embrace the wrong that you know is wrong, to move through it, to endure, to be steadfast, to stay in Jesus. Well, what do you do when it's hard to persevere? You seek his wisdom. You go to God. You ask God to guide you through it. You ask God to help you through it. It says that he does not pick and choose who he gives wisdom to. He freely gives wisdom. Meaning, You maybe have never asked God for wisdom before. Maybe you've just kind of gone through life and said, well, life is good, life is bad, I'll do whatever I want. But now you're starting to go, hey, maybe there's more to this. Maybe there is something that God wants for me. It means you can go ask him. He freely gives to all who ask. Maybe you've asked him your whole life. Well, he still freely gives to all who asked. Well, and why do you need to do this? Because seeing 
your hardships in a new light, that there's purpose to it, that there's meaning, can help you endure. Seeing the reality that God is doing something in your life and not just giving into whether it's the stuff internally or externally that's hurting you allows you to be whole, allows you to find what many of us have been looking for, allows you to find hope, healing, freedom, to be who you've always been meant to be. Viktor Frankl also says this in his book. He says, when we no longer are able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. We are no longer able to change a situation. When you can't change what's going on around you, you're faced with the reality of, well, what do you do now to yourself? How do you respond? Do you go and seek God's wisdom? Do you give in to what you know he doesn't want for you? Ultimately, it's always your choice. The suffering comes from all around us, but it also comes from inside. And we have a choice to either find meaning in it, find purpose, that God is doing something if we endure and persevere through it and are steadfast, or we can give in and say life is meaningless, there is no hope, there's no purpose to this. Or we can find joy, the realization of grace in our life that God is doing something and inviting you into more. And my prayer for you is that you choose that. That you make the choice to go, no matter how hard it's been, no matter how hard it will be, I know that God has something better in store. And to seek him out for what that might be. And to listen to what he says. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the God who has not given up on us. That no matter what we've gone through or what we've done, you invite us to experience joy. A joy of the realization of the grace we've been given. To find meaning and purpose in everyday moments, whether they are good or bad. But ultimately to find you. Because you are the one who gives meaning and purpose to our lives. You are the one who makes us who we've always been meant to be, even when it's hard to see it. As Paul wrote long ago, that we are God, your masterpiece, God. We are created new in Christ for the good works that you've planned for us. Help us to see our newness in you, to embrace what it is you have for us, to persevere through our suffering, through our sorrow, through our temptation, and see that, God, you have something more than we could imagine. Holy Spirit, I pray that our hearts and our minds are open to seeking your wisdom in how we process through this, how we live life, and how we seek you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.